welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. It is time to get back to work. My name is Joe O'Brien, and this is Cannon Fodder. And I'm Troy LaValle 2, Electric Boogaloo. I'm running out of names. Yeah, and sometimes I just don't even know how to respond. I mean, what, how, what do you say to that? I'm the sequel to myself. Oh, man, we, we keep getting together every week and recording yeah. cannon fodder. I, I love that this is able to happen still. We are looking back at episode 76 of the Glass Cannon Ooh. Podcast, a frantic, hectic, energized... I mean, that session was really, really fun. Yeah. I gotta say. It was deadly and scary and we were all on on edge when we got there and we were getting set up you know wondering what was going to happen with the saves and then all of a sudden you know we're out of the woods a little bit but then it just becomes this frantic round by round you know combat i get just a combat episode sure but it felt like a mix of like a combat episode but also like an exploring episode it, it had a little bit of everything it was the first time in a long time that we had a whole episode that was like initiative to it ends still in combat. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. It's one long combat for a whole episode. Exactly. We never really got out of initiative. No. So topics that I just want to kind of brush over this week. Matthew's long wait. I want to talk about that because you mentioned about <laughs> some emails from him. I want to talk about the idea or structure behind the mad rush to find the villain. Yeah. Which doesn't always happen in games. I want to talk about splitting the party, which we did. And of course, the death of Ingrahild. Brutal. Which... I mean, we have no time to process this, but no. we'll be able to talk about it a little bit. Hopefully, I'll get something out of you here on Cannon Fodder. So depressing. So depressing. Well, last week on Cannon Fodder, we talked about the deadliness of the spores and how we were going to have to wait and see you know, what happened with those checks. Then in the episode, you you happened to mention offhandedly that Matthew had emailed you and said, can I just, can I just roll the fortitude save down? <laughs> I imagine I'm not even being able to sleep at night. But I was thinking... You know, I was like, God, I can't, I can't even imagine what your response was. I imagine you just sent him an email that said, just bring your backup character. Oh, so he told you what my response was. <laughs> well, am I close? Am I right? <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> That's yeah. my response pretty much all the time when you guys ask me stuff like that. Yeah. Bring a backup. Yeah, you know, in between sessions, I think that's a, that's a long way to go with your character hanging into the balance and to just wait for that one roll of the die. I mean... I, you know what I would do? I would sit there with a D20 and be like, what if I rolled it? Would it you know what I mean? If right. it's a two, I'd be like, oh my God, that's terrible. If it's an 18, I'd be like, I feel good. I'm going to be okay. But it's all meaningless. It's like it's like preseason football. It doesn't, <laughs> right. it doesn't really matter. It's that one roll when we get into the game. But thankfully, Matthew hits it. Dell is okay, at least for now. Yeah. At least it, for now. It ended after five rounds anyway. <laughs> right. And that's something that you knew, yeah, that it, that it it was just going to run its course. But man, the damage was done and you got no cleric to be able to fix this in the middle of combat. You know, it'd be one thing if it wasn't in combat, you could be like, all right, let's get everybody back to their normal stuff. Yeah, rest and up, we'll, take no, some potions. Yeah. Roll for initiative. And so we get into initiative order and we start moving. Boom, downstairs. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I had a misunderstanding of the situation. I mean, I thought that that he was going to, that he talked to us from that window and then was going to go lock us in. And so I have Willamette and Lexington run to the door to try to stop him from closing it. But you were like, no, that chink sound was him closing and locking the door and I was like damn it I just did not see that coming yeah the confusion of the situation was you know it was it, it was worked. palpable yeah and it yeah and it worked and it felt real you know we were running this way and that Della's down there dying 
you know, Will is like Baron tend to her because he knows uh, Baron has a high heel skill. Yeah. And he's like, I- I'll stand by and guard the door. Like, I'll be brave. And he gets up there and he's like, I'm completely ineffective. Like that, I, I've just been completely ineffective. Nestor's training his bow on the five, you know, five foot thi- or five inch, five thick glass, inch thick glass. Like you guys didn't know what to do, and it was really cool. <laughs> Meanwhile, spores is filling the room. Uh, so then, yeah, so we we get we bash our way through the door, and it's this mad, hectic race, you know, to find the villain, which you don't normally see. You, yeah, normally it is. We know this villain is down here somewhere. We're going to keep exploring until we find him in some room, and hopefully he doesn't surprise us. Well, in this case, we got to the end, and he wasn't there. I'm doing detect evil. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Nothing, nothing. And then, boom, he gets the jump on us, gets the drop on us, tries to seal us in this tomb, and then we have to, you know, we break our way out. Well, it's like, now we got to find him. And I love that initiative and by initiative turn where people are all just running. They're all running because different character speeds really come into play there. I love that. The, the party the gets separated really naturally, yeah. you know, and then we have a natural sort of splitting of the party because we're trying to outflank him, so to speak. We're trying to make sure that he has no other routes out. Mm-hmm. So we know the way we came, but then there was the other way that we didn't come. So, And I'm surprised that you guys went that way. I really wanted you to, but I feel like sometimes uh, any party gets really nervous about, you know, doing just rushing through a door. What if there was another encounter in there? Right. You know, it amazed me. I I have to hand it to you guys for doing it because I did not think you would. Uh, I thought you'd be like, nope, there's another encounter there. We'll deal with that later. I think that would have been so cool. Oh, encounter there. And then you guys go left and encounter, you know, Lockport. That would have been insane. But, uh, (laughs) It still ended up being pretty crazy. So there was some really interesting stuff in that room mm. that we hadn't uh, explored yet. What, what was on those paintings? I mean, you got, they were just running through. They only had kind of a little bit of time to take it all in, but they're paintings showing all of Nargrim's deeds. Uh, but his eyes are all scratched out. The paintings are defaced. There's like shit stains on the last one over the plaque that describes what it is. But they're like, no time to look at the art. This guy. <laughs> I'm going to go kill a boss. <laughs> yeah, this guy is. So this guy is crazy and evil. Like, and somehow still alive after hundreds of years. Yeah. And as you said, you were like, this guy is pure, like the pure essence of evil. Yeah. You know, and that's why I was so excited to be able to smite evil for the first time yeah. as Sir Will. And then I'm kind of left hanging at the end of the episode, you know, to, to actually enact my smite to see what it can actually do. And now you're leaving me wait to on a die roll again. And I hate waiting. Amazing. You know, and this is so similar to me, to the Lork uh, and one-on-one fight situation. Not in that it's as dangerous, but in that I have this, I know that that's immediately what's going to happen when we sit down for this session is going to be that, because I know I'm next in initiative right. order. So it's going to be that D20 roll. And I really don't, I just don't want to fumble it. I want him to, to charge. I want him to have a really successful charge. Right after he sees Ingra, he'll fall. Yeah, so that's what that die roll is riding on now. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, I imagine it in my mind in the in the split second that that happens. I just imagine it being pretty obvious to somebody like Will, because I don't know if the audience can really see it, but he's positioned in such a way that he can see like he's to the side of Lockmore. So so Ingerhild is in his field of vision and he Lockmore is lunging out in front of him to get to Ingerhild. So you have to he can totally see this. He ran her through with it. Like right. He saw the spear, this giant weapon, this giant spear, barbed, barbed spear, spear, come out the other side. Oh, of Ingerhild, God. You know? <laughs> and, 
you know, all slow motion, just the life goes out of her eyes. And now D20 roll. And, you know, for me, that's tough because I haven't been in this situation yet in the GCP or much in, a, in other games I've played where I have to make that decision between, you know, the charge and keeping up the fight mm-hmm. and healing, like healing magic, you yeah. know, because that's part of my duty to this party. So I don't know, you know, like you said, it, you said she's permanently dead. I don't want to metagame it. But I mean, if she's run through, she's run through. Like you see that happen as a character, you're going to know. But. I mean, Umlo doesn't even know. She's behind Umlo. Yeah. So in the split second, he can't really see it. So I'm kind of looking forward to if, you know, this combat works out like I think it will, which is, you know, we will prevail over this guy. Seeing that, what is going to happen with everyone, real characters coming to to realization. Baron hasn't seen her. Baron, that's to me. Baron isn't even in the room. The best part of this is that Baron has no idea. And like their relationship has been growing a little bit. Didn't he say like fans are a little attractive? Like there's some stuff. She cleans up nice. Yeah, she cleans up nice. And he is the only one outside of the room, right? Right at this point? Yeah. The only one outside of the room has no idea. And I just think it's so cool because I prepare these things obviously in advance. I have an idea of how it's going to go. But I had no idea this was going to play out this way. I had no idea an NPC would die. Um, well, hold on a second. I want to challenge you on that comment because you were in control of her and you had her run the other way and into that room right, for, first. I didn't decide until you know the last minute that Lockmore was going to be in that room. I wanted to see how you guys played it out and I reserved the right in my head to put either Lockmore in the room with the paintings, in the room with the viewing chamber, or in the reliquary. So did you roll a die? I mean, what triggered the decision? It, I, I decided to do it based on your choices and the timing of your actions. Okay. Yeah. So it just worked out that I was like, oh no, this I'm going to have I'm going to put him right there. Okay. It, actually, if you had come around the other way and entered the door where Baron got shot by the crossbow, I would have had him fi- like arm the crossbow again and fire it at the first person that walked through the door. Oh, okay. And so I had a couple different options and I was allowing myself to kind of see how you guys played it based on your initiative, based on your movement speeds. And I thought that this was uh, the best way, but it just worked out that you guys couldn't get prepared enough to do enough damage to make things more difficult for him. So Ingrahild and Umlo are defending the you know the name of their ancestor. They get right up into the fight. That's what they do. Yeah, they have all the motivation in the world to to die fighting for this. And it just, I mean, he he does brutal damage. They were already weakened by the spores. It's a giant sized weapon, right? Yeah, and that's what really killed Ingrahild. I mean, who knows? It seemed like she she was faded at this point, but her con was down so much that her. Hit point oh, yeah. threshold yeah. was down significantly. So is Umlo. So, I mean, Umlo is next. He's right up there. And now he's going to realize that his sister dies. He's going to have a death wish as well. <sighs> it's just, I mean, to, to me, I had no idea how that episode was going to end. I knew I wanted to end it. I was waiting to see what happened. Roll the die. Dead. See you next week. Natty 19. Natty 19. So what about, I mean, a part of the, and part of the difficulty there, part of the reason that they were alone with, uh, with him for a round is because and we talked about this on Counterfighter. I'm trying to keep it fresh. I'm trying to stick with the light thing. And Sir Willamette gets left with no light. Right. In that uh, back room before they, because the doors all went ahead and Nestor took his light into the other room. And if you remember, my torch went out because of the uh, the air or whatever down there. Right. So I had to relight a new torch. And that, I looked up the rule while we, while we were recording and it said it's a full round action to light up a torch. And I was like, no. That is so, that's an eternity in a situation like this. So uh, let me ask you this. Do you think the decision to relight the torch caused Ingrid Hill's death? 
It's very. Uh, maybe you got, a, you'll put this on me, maybe bro. Maybe it's a stretch. Put this on me. Maybe it's a stretch. But if you had got there around earlier, who knows? Could I have gotten there though? I mean, I'm. You know, Lexington is going to have. I'm ninety percent sure. Low light vision. I don't think that wolves have dark vision. I think they have low light vision. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but either way. I don't know. I you can't see anything. You know what I mean? Like it, it seemed unrealistic to me to continue like charging in. I mean, if anything, he would have just went the other way. Right. But I think that he was trying to do the right thing, hearing the sounds of combat in that room ahead of him. And even though the light and his allies were on the other side of the uh, the other room, you had to play it that way. You had, to. I had to light the torch. But I think that yeah, if I would have been a little bit more reckless and just relied on Lexington's ability to kind of. You know, his natural sense to not run into a wall, which is pretty reasonable to think that a wolf would be able to do in the dark. I could have gotten in there and maybe caused some distraction. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, obviously, I'm stretching it to make you feel bad. But uh, (laughs) it's certainly those type of decisions. Like people would think, oh, it's stupid. You got to take a whole round, a full round action to light a torch. That's in the game for reasons like this. Like, I think a lot of GMs would be like, oh, yeah, you can light the torch and move. You can light the torch and attack. You know, it's what it is. It's lighting a torch. Right. You know, but I, I like those, that nitty gritty, because look at the story moment it's presenting. Yeah. You had to take a moment because the flint isn't catching. You know, it takes right. six seconds. You have to pull to out a torch. You have to, yeah. you know, and, and look what happened. I mean, to me, that that's why I love the rules. Play, <laughs> the rules are there for a reason. That's why I love the rules. Uh, speaking of rules that you're not going to love so much is the, the <laughs> next time you see that uh, blade lash spell. Oh, man. That, where did that come from? I think he makes up half of these. <laughs> Blade Lash. Uh, I actually went and looked it up after the fact because I was like, what the hell was that? And it is straight up in the advanced class guide. You know, is it advanced class guide? Ultimate Magic, maybe? Oh, you know what? I, I think it's advanced class guide, actually. So I don't think it is in the book that Magus came out with, but it is like a very specific Magus spell. And it makes sense that it would be because it's about elongating your weapon and making it this like... 15 foot whip or something like that it is advanced class guide yeah so it's in the magus book no the magus is not advanced class guide. oh magus is ultimate magic i believe it is you're ultimate right, magic. You're right, yeah. You're right, yeah so yeah it extends uh Della's scimitar out to this like wavy crazy thing that can trip you it's a level one spell yeah it's like a plus 10 bonus to the cmb i think that's a really fun spell unfortunately it didn't work out for Della. he rolled poorly but imagine if he was able to trip him Wait, oh, that would have been insane. I would have been furious. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would have been furious. I was so that was what like I like to give you guys you, you know your wins once in a while, but I was so mad when he cast that spell because I'm like, if you fucking trip my monster, this changes the I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna kill Della. I'm gonna go after Della. That is a level one major spell and a level one blood rager spell. Well, blood that rager is advanced is, uh, class guide. Blood rager is from the advanced class. That's the class hybrid guide. class. Yes. Is advanced? Oh, advanced class guide is the hybrid. Is the hybrid right, class? Yeah. It's yeah. a uh, barbarian sorcerer. Yes. Yes. Blood Rager. So cool. <laughs> so cool. This is so cool. <laughs> but I just liked, in general, before we get to listener mail, I just, I just want to say I really liked the session and, and thank you so much for the way that you laid it out, created it, and kept it all in initiative order. I think it was a great decision a great choice because that energy like i like having that in games that i run is sometimes when it when you're not just swinging a sword having things in initiative order when when yeah. you can't see the opponent or hear them yet and you don't know where they are you actually did that a little bit in trees company when you had us rolling initiative and acting round by 
round by round after the trap went off. Yeah. And we couldn't see it. The trap was done. You knew it was done. But you were trying to create that feeling of like, ha, 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 where is it? What's coming? Is something coming? Yeah. You know, and when you have players roll initiative, even when there isn't a combat coming, immediate combat coming, you create that tension mm -hmm. that you need to create because players are always going to think that it's about to be combat, you know, and you will then other times when they roll initiative, they might not necessarily know that it is an imminent attack from a person in the room. It's like playing poker. You want to make sure you play it both ways so that they don't know when you say roll initiative what exactly is going to take place. Right. And you know, I was I was pretty hopeful about it. I'd never been in a situation like this before where you start five rooms away from the enemy, but you know where the generally where the enemy might be. Uh, so I was a little concerned that it would work, but I think it worked great because movement speeds really came into effect I knew that yeah. each of you would get to him at different times and that was going to make things uh, way more interesting because right now it started off as Will Umlo and Ingrahild versus the boss <laughs> that you are right. completely underpowered of course a character is going to die yeah yeah and, and a character with you know that has that con damage so yeah one more kind of tip idea maybe if I if I may throw it out there I just thought of this it's not I just thought of bringing it up here I hadn't really uh, prepared to talk about it but I had done this before in a game and I think it's a great idea to do and I it made me think of it when we started talking about rolling initiative at different times have your players once in a while in your game have your players roll initiative in a tense situation that is not supposed to be combat where it's like people they don't know they run into whether it's like in a tavern somebody says something a little fishy you know you have the big guy at the bar he stands up slams his cup down on the table and he says what did you say to me everybody roll initiative yeah and you do it like that and they think that they're about to get in a bar fight and that's what you're supposed to think but then I would even be inclined to, even if I rolled higher initiative, like let them go first. Yeah. To see what they do. To see if a character has the presence of mind in his first round to be like, whoa, 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 let's everybody calm down. Or if he's just like, takes it from mechanical perspective and just says, well, we rolled initiative, so that means I'm a slayer, so I want to get my sneak attack damage while he's flat-footed. So uh, yeah, okay, so I shoot my crossbow and then have serious repercussions to him murdering someone when all it was was like a possible bar fight do you know we've done this on the gcp we have yep get out of here remember when tog threw a punch at lork oh yeah yeah i had forgotten that and we rolled for initiative this that's not and it. you said what do you do and i believe i just grabbed him right i yeah, think i grabbed you him and tried the, to grapple him if, it, if he had beat you on initiative the punch would have you know i would have attacked the punch but i think you beat him in initiative so you were able to like grab him but I was wondering, are you going to hit him with your falchion? Are you going to hit him with Screed's falchion? <laughs> well, I didn't kill realize. Him right there, and I was going to let it happen. That's why I, I let you guys roll for initiative. But that's a, an example of what you're saying actually happening. Yeah, so I, I highly recommend you guys do that in your games. If you have a tense social interaction scene that isn't just diplomacy, maybe there needs to be a little bit of bluff. Maybe if the diplomacy fails, you know in the module it's written that it's going to end up being a combat. Have that initiative roll start a little earlier and put people on edge. Right to create that exact feeling that their characters are feeling in the moment. They're on edge. Have them grapple. Have them do a little mind magic. Have them, uh, you know, do, I don't know, there's other things you can do. Or Besides maybe someone just, will make a mistake and whip out their knife and start stabbing. Right, and then you have repercussions for that, yeah. especially if you're in a town or something. It's like, well, maybe you get arrested or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's all kinds of interesting options. But the point being that there's a stigma to that when your GM says, roll for initiative. If you use it more often, it will 
in different situations. It will not always just mean imminent combat. And that way it'll keep the players guessing, keep him a little bit on edge. Yeah. And one thing you taught me before I even started GMing, you were like, from time to time, just roll a D20 back there when someone does something and it, you're not doing anything, but you're just keeping people on their toes. That's yes. it's, it's all in that same family of things you're doing. It's keeping the players on your toes by doing things. Uh, that uh, don't allow them to metagame. Right. That, that takes away their ability to metagame you. If you constantly do things that break the meta, right? Throw it off. Whenever someone says, "I want to do a perception check," and there's nothing going on on my part, I always roll a d20. Yeah, because it's like uh, you know, I want to. And if they happen to say 19 or they happen to say 24, I'll go. Ah, you don't, you don't see anything. anything. Yeah, so close. (laughs) And I'll I'll say that. You know what I mean? And they'll be like, "Damn it!" And then somebody else will be like, "Well, I'll roll perception," and you're like, "You fail anyway." (laughs) Yeah, exactly. well, you know, speaking of you and your GM choices, we have a little, have a little listener mail I want to bring up this week. About me? About you. Who's going to cue my fucking A today? <laughs> Daniel is going to cue your A today, Troy. Get out of there, Daniel. Daniel from I don't know where. He didn't put in the email where he's from. Guys, put in the email where you're from. We love to tell people uh, where our questions are coming from. I'm going to say he's from Timbuktu. <laughs> Daniel from Timbuktu writes in to Troy specifically. I'm curious if you could talk about how you've grown as a GM mm. since your experience of recording the podcast. That's an excellent question, Daniel. Thank you for asking. I can answer it for you. You've grown more and more evil with every passing episode. Well, I I mean, I I think I've mentioned this before, uh, maybe just on the Twitch. The one thing I've learned is um, having to build suspense for your players to keep them engaged is one thing. Having to build suspense for a ever-growing audience is another thing. So uh, one of the things that I think I've, I've, I've grown on is making the story really, really important. You know what I mean? And making it so that you guys end each episode and you can't wait to play the next one. Like, obviously, in our case, we can never stop because now we're locked into the story. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I don't have to worry about the group breaking up. Um, but that's one of the things. And, you know, I've, I've... This is only my second time GMing. Like, I'm GMing, I'm GMing the Jade Regent Adventure Path with you, Skid, and now Matthew and our buddy Drew. And this is my only only my second foray into it. So I, I, I felt like I had a, cl- a fresh start with Giant Slayer to be able to like all the mistakes I made when I was learning GMing through Jade Region. Um, now I have just so much more knowledge. So the one thing uh, I've learned is just GM more. You're gonna get better at it. Um, yeah, Do you? is there anything specifically about recording yourself and being able to listen back to what you did that has had has made you grow as a GM, or or is there anything about specifically recording like a one hour show and these short sessions the way we do? that has changed or had you grow as a GM? I mean a bunch of different things, but the first two that come to mind are, number one is the obvious one, being able to listen back to your shows. Like you started running a Wrath of the Righteous campaign for us on Roll20 for me and Skid and some other guys, and you record those episodes. We don't release them or anything, and we couldn't, honestly. They're not edited. They're raw, but I love listening. And the, the audio, audio quality is also terrible. We don't record it the way we, we record the GCP. <laughs> right, we're recording over Skype and whatnot. Right, but I specifically did it because... I learned so much as a player listening back to the GCP and was like, you know what? Keeping a recorded record, even if the audio quality is bad, you can't publish it. It really helps you as a player. And then I learned as a GM to stay on top of it 
Oh, for sure. Just being able to go back and be like, what did I say that thing? Okay. And hearing the way you guys react to certain things, I'm like, well, that wasn't really anything when I was saying it, but they really uh, sort of glommed onto that. I'm going to make a mental note that I might turn that into something bigger because it seemed to excite them when I had no intention of it exciting them. I would forget that from session to session if I wasn't able to go back and listen. And number, and you had just told me that it one of the best things I could do right now was go back and listen to episode 46, Marsh Madness. Marsh Madness. And I, and I, I did that. And did. It's, yeah, I did it. It's just awesome. Right? It's just so awesome to, pick up little to listen back. I mean, the first, the very first things that you mentioned about Ingerhild were, you know, you were talking about Nargum Steelhand, the tomb, finding the giant slayer. Like, it was all there. It's all there. And now I'm noticing, because sometimes when you GM, you really want the PCs or the players to get something, then you're trying to portray it to them, but you know they're not getting it. Yeah. So eventually you're like... I'll just tell you what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I don't have to do that with you guys. If I just leave a little dangling thing out there, a dangling participle, uh, it can come up 20 episodes later. You're like, oh my, wait a minute. I was just re-listening to 48, 47, 49. Right. And you said that there, you know, and that's fun that you can do that with the players and then obviously with the audience as well. Oh my God, I've had games where I just, you know, I get into a session and I started off on my like, refresh or blah, blah, blah. And remember, this guy is the richest guy in town, son. And he's accused of of the murder. You, you, you remember this, right? And the players just give you this like completely blank look, like we've never heard his name before. And I'm like, <laughs> I've told you this seven times. I've told you seven times that this guy's this guy's son. That's hugely important to the plot. Seven times, and they're just like, I don't think I've ever heard that name before. <laughs> are, you, are you sure you told us? I'm sure, this one's some other game. Um, so, well, does that make your job easier? Do you think? Or harder. Um, well, you got to keep track of all these things too. Yeah. That's the thing. If you're just throwing out a bunch of loose ends and then you never tie them up, um, that's no good. But you know, what's not, I would highly recommend all GMs to record their sessions, even if it's just putting a blue Yeti microphone in the middle of the room. You'd never want to release that as a podcast. It would be awful. And there are some podcasts out there that do that, and they're terrible. You can't hear anybody. If you're like <laughs> off the mic, you're like, God, come on, have some self respect. Um, but to be able to go back and listen, you'll be like, you know what? I don't like the way that I'm doing combat like I'm, I'm I'd like to do something better I'm not streamlining this well enough and I'm I tend to pick on this character too much or I'm, I'm you know you, you get to really learn by re-listening yourself like ah, I'm not good at flavor text or I'm not good at my improv I want to kind of work on that maybe write some of my scripts out beforehand it just gives you a chance to course correct over time as you GM and the other thing I'll say because I can honestly talk about this forever I've just noticed that I've become a better GM since I started doing this is pacing you know for a show where we're doing this for an audience I want to make sure that we're constantly keeping and things moving when we're not recording things can tend to be a lot more relaxed and i actually enjoy that now when we game without recording it's like ah oh, we can just relax take off our pants right see what happens like you do right take uh, off our pants shop exchange <laughs> items <laughs> the whole shebang um yeah count silver pieces and trade them in for copper pieces i would never right. do that uh, <laughs> prepare spells <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, so yeah, being able to keep up the pacing, but I find that's a good tool that's now carrying over into my non-recorded games because keeping up the pacing, especially in moments when you want your players to feel the excitement, whether it be the the positive or negative of the of the situation, keeping that pacing, like what do you do? You only got sixty seconds. What do you do? What do you do? Rather than people be like, hold on, let me just look through the uh, book here. I want to see what spell I want to do. No, come on, I need an answer right now. Right. Um, and being uh, having to keep up the pace for a recorded broadcast, I've noticed that that's a 
great tool to use. You know, you don't have to do it in all situations, but in the non-recorded games as well. Well, yeah, being able to notice. We've talked before about identifying cues from your players, like noticing when they're not into something or some of them are and some of them aren't. It's important to notice when your players or your game is dragging a little bit. If mm-hmm. one player is dragging things down by taking too long to do one thing or to uh, focus on one question that seems to be a dead end or whatever the case may be, having the understanding to notice that's happening and not lean back on the traditional, you know, this is a game where you can do whatever you want and I'm not going to hem you in, like not sort of letting them go on and on and on in a direction that doesn't go anywhere, but instead like getting them back on point and keeping things moving. Uh, Now, you don't want to rush them in a situation where it looks like everybody's having fun doing downtime. That's great. That's totally great. You don't always have to be doing plot every single second. But if the players look like they're just looking around, you see somebody's just spinning dice, somebody's just twirling a pencil looking out the window. On their phone or whatever. Right, exactly. It's like, okay, well, let's try to get the action moving. Right. Well, that's all the time we have for today, Troy. Thanks so much for letting us know how you've grown as a GM from recording the podcast and thank you you're to welcome. Skid <laughs> and big thank you to Skid oh, once Skid. again we thanked him in the intro we need to thank him again for a, an absolutely fantastic weekend the retreat was phenomenal it was so relaxing and Cape Cod is beautiful I, you were saying on the drive back you're thinking about moving there it's absolutely <laughs> beautiful up it's there it's so sparse and spread out and small townish but clean mm-hmm. and the water's right there but all the trees with the leaves changing color I mean Willamette would have loved it he really would have the aspen leaves <laughs> the aspen leaves were changing once again thank you to Skid and Thanks, thank you Skid. to the guys for taking the time out to go away for the weekend man I hope we do it again I'll tell you there was a lot of exciting responses from that con talk I'll tell you that much Ooh, man oh, first baby. weekend of November for the rest of our life Canon Con <laughs> Canon Con <laughs> alright guys take it easy we'll see you next week bye bye